Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everybody. I'm Ken Poon, and uh, this is my first time hosting. So as Greg said, the first time he hosted, it's probably going to be pretty bad. Just like the Knicks, I think the plan here is to, you know, get your lesser people out there and hope that they develop. So that's what I'm here doing, trying to develop. I'm here with Tom. we got a good show for you today. We're going to be talking about the last six games, all losses, spoiler alert. And then we're going to be talking about the Knicks roster, what we kind of hope it's going to be this year, what's what it's going to be next year and, you know, for the foreseeable future. And then uh, we're probably going to talk a little bit about the draft, who we're going to pick, what, where we're going to end up. We'll see. But, you know, let's talk Knicks, yeah. baby. The New York Knicks select Christoph Porzingis. Post and toes, puffing and stuffing. Again, igniting and exciting the garden crowd. So like I said, I'm here with uh, my buddy Tom, who's going to come over uh, down to New Haven tonight to hang out. But uh, Tom, how, how have you been this weekend? Kenny, I am doing well. I'm excited for your first hosting experience here. So far, so good, man. But Don't yeah, lie like to him. Said, we're uh, we're heading down to New Haven in a little bit to do an escape the room. Escape uh, the room. I have done one of these with some of my coworkers before in New York. I know you've done at least one before. So we've got a little experience in our hands. I think um, it, it'll be pretty similar to the next season, how we're kind of trying to escape the season. I'm, uh, I'm comfortable huh. in that parallel, uh, but no, looking forward to doing it. Good, uh, good segue. Did you escape the room the last time you did it? You know, we did technically escape the room. We escaped it with like 10 seconds left. And I wondered if, you know, the, the moderators or the people who are in charge of the room, they give you clues. And I just wonder if they like kind of want you to think that you did it on your own and they give you clues at the end there if you're close. I, I'm I'm skeptical to see if they like try and make it very dramatic down to the wire and then they just sort of give you the clues to, to let you win. I don't know. I've never lost before. Yeah. So I've done a, I've done a few of these. Um... And I'll say that this place, Escape New Haven, is very good. Um, I did one that was kind of like a pop-up shop uh, that was very bad. And that was the first one that, I, that I'd ever done. So I just assumed they were terrible in general. And then we did one at work with all uh, like the new people at work. And it was a lot of fun. And it was at Escape New Haven. So we did another one a couple weeks ago. And I'll say the first one, we came very close to escaping, but we did not. Ooh. And then the second one that I did with my girlfriend and uh, her friends, we did escape. So... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you that there is a decent chance that we don't escape tonight, and that's what makes it exciting. I mean, I, I am not accepting failure as an option here, so we got to escape, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, speaking of escape, like you said, it's, it's going to be tough to escape this season with uh, a couple more wins, which, you know, we did our part to not get any of those wins in the last six games. So, you know, just briefly, we've hit the point in the season where, you know, we're – we're just hoping to see development and we're hoping to see players play well. The last six games, I'm just going to touch on each of them briefly. If you have anything to add, Tom, just cut me right off. Just jump in. All right? Sure. 
All right. So it's been a couple of weeks since we've been at it. Uh, last week, we took the week off for, you know, our various things, mostly because Greg is kind of the straw that stirs the drink and he was unavailable. So I'm going to jump in us... there. I do not think Greg is the straw. That <laughs> sure, sure, sure. But uh, Greg is usually the one who gets us organized. And uh, today he even was said, I'm not available today, but you guys have to pod. So we got together all those who were available, which is me and you. And here we are. And you know, Kenny, uh, I think based on based on Greg's uh, social media channels, I think he's just been brunching in New York City the entire weekend. I think it's just been one long brunch. I, I think you know he's a brunch kind of guy. I guess now uh, I know. I think it was one of his friend's birthdays or something like that. Um, he texted us from the couch while watching the Knicks game rather than actually going to the Knicks game. I think you made a comment on that about how that's kind of bogus, but you know. He's a good guy and my brother, so we're not going to rip on him too hard. Um, but back to the Knicks. So the the six games that have happened since our, our last pod, we'll start with the Warriors. The Warriors game was pretty much a mirror image of the first Warrior game with the Knicks. Uh, this last one, we led by one at the half, and then we lost 125 to 111. The last Warriors game, we led by two at the half, and then we lost 123 to 112. So in this game, the Warriors scored two more points. We scored one less point, and we had a one-point less lead at the half. But otherwise, very similar. Uh, that game, you know, the highlights, I guess, are Moutier, 20 points and seven assists. Frank had a solid game with uh, 13 points on 6-12 and 12 shooting and five rebounds. And the Knicks had uh, seven guys in double figures scoring, but, you know, they uh, just couldn't close it out after a strong first half. And the third quarter is what really – uh, you know, kind of undid them. And it was the same thing with the Clippers. They led by three at half against the Clippers and they ultimately lost 128 to 105. You know, again, I think you said it two or three pods ago. The hope is that they play very well and then lose. And, you know, they, they did that against both the Clippers and the Warriors. They had, and, you know, all of these six games, there were streaks when they were playing well and you were seeing good things out of them and then they lost. So I don't know if we're even that upset about these losses. Um, and that game, Tim Hardaway Jr. went for 17. Uh, Cantor went for his normal 18 and 14, you know, because that's what he does. Uh, Sacramento, we lost 102 to 99. We were losing by a lot early, and then we made a, a kind of strong comeback in the second half. Tim Hardaway Jr., 24 points on 11 21 shooting, which you like to see because he's really picked up the scoring pace without uh, Chris Stops out there. Cantor again, 14 and 16, you know. Uh, the usual suspects, all of these games have been Hardaway and Cantor. They're, they've been playing pretty well. Blazers, you know, the big story in this one was it was Frank's first start um, under kind of unfortunate circumstances with Courtney Lee had, a, I believe, a death in the family. So Frank came out, um, you know, not a not a spectacular game. I think he scored six points, but, you know, it's good to, good to see him getting those minutes. Hardaway again, 19 points on 8 of 18 shooting, 3 of 6 from 3. Cantor, 18-11, another double-double. Uh, last game was the Bucks. Tim Hardaway Jr., 10 for 20, 4 from 11 from 3, 26 points and 7 rebounds. That's a pretty good game for Timmy. Um, Troy Williams was a surprise that game. He's, uh, he's on his second 10-day contract right now and you know looking to, to catch on to the Knicks. Moutier had, I believe, 19 points all in the second quarter, or second half, I mean, uh, which is kind of those stretches that I'm talking about that. We're seeing a little bit of everybody that we want to see, you know, 
perform, but it's all about kind of putting it together for, you know, a complete game. And once we have Chris Stapps back and you're hoping that these guys have kind of developed into solid role players. And then today they played the Raptors, Tim Hardaway Jr. at 25 points, Luke Cornett with a surprise start after Lance Thomas was out with a thumb injury, uh, went 18 points on seven to 15 shooting. So that's that's the quick run by. Uh, you got anything to say about any of these games or just kind of the performances in general, Tom? Well, Kenny, you mentioned what I had said before about wanting to play well in these games and still managing to lose. And I, I still maintain that, that position. I think it's the way to go. But I'm just seeing these tanking teams play over the last week or two it has really made me feel like the Knicks can only do so much to better their playoff odds. I think they are one game ahead of the Chicago Bulls in the East, but they Chicago might be the only team I think that they can even catch in terms of tanking. Like th- these other teams are just putting on masterful tanking performances that I, I don't think New York is going to, like, they've already banked too many wins. You know, they have three more wins than the, than the Kings do. And it's just hard for me to believe that the Kings are going to, you know, win that many more games, even over the course of the, the next several weeks, you know? Yeah, Tom, and I'm, I'm with you. Like, as far as the, the top teams on the tank, you know, we thought, you know, a few weeks ago, I know we talked about the teams that New York could possibly catch, and the, the two that I mentioned were Brooklyn and Memphis, because I thought that Memphis was a better team, and I thought Brooklyn had no reason to lose while everyone else was trying to lose. Memphis has lost 17 straight games. So they're doing a great job. They're at the bottom of the standings, uh, and you know it's not looking great for them. Brooklyn, they won their last game, but they're two two for their last ten, and you know they're tied for the fifth through seventh spot right now with Sacramento and Dallas. You know they're only what is it a game and a half ahead of the Knicks in the standing. I, there's still a possibility. That's the team that I look at. That you know. Maybe they could sneak a couple wins in. Maybe Chicago could sneak a couple wins in, but it's a it's more of a possibility than something that I'm expecting to happen. And You're talking about Brooklyn, Kenny? Yeah, I'm talking about Brooklyn. Yeah, they're, because they're, again, they're two and a half games, which again, it's not impossible. It's just, I mean, just considering how they've played, even with the incentive, or I guess you'd say the the disincentive to to lose. Like they they have no reason to try and lose, and they've still been just so miserable down the stretch. It's uh. It's pretty shocking. But, I mean, going back to to what you were saying about some of these games not being as frustrating, the biggest thing for me has really been their defense. They've they've given up 125 to the Warriors, which you'll do, even at home. That happens. At the Clippers, they gave up 128. At Milwaukee, 120. At home versus Toronto today, 132. I don't know if it's a, a lack of defensive effort or just straight up talent. On, on the defensive side of the ball, but um, you know, it, it makes sense to me that, that, you know, KP goes down and the offense really struggles, but w- w- on the defensive side of the ball, I, I, I don't like seeing them giving up 120 plus so regularly. Yeah. And I'd, I'd agree with that. What, the one caveat I would, you know, throw in there is that the Knicks are just kind of a mishmash right now. They're just throwing in random guys and, a lot of defense has to do with kind of team defense and chemistry. And it's obviously just not going to be there. I think the Knicks have solid, you know, one-on-one defenders. And if they were playing for an entire season, I don't think that you'd be seeing, you know, quite the consistent, you know, 120 games being put up on them. But 
it is troubling, right? But overall, I think, you know, Frank is a solid defender. Lance is a solid defender. Courtney Lee, I think he gets overcredited a lot for how good of a defender he is, but he's still solid. Kyle O'Quinn is another guy. I think he gets too much credit for his defense, but he's still solid. You know, so I think if you got, you know, these guys some chemistry over time, they would be a better performing group. So I'm not as concerned about the points that they're giving up. I just want to see, you know, something. That's mm-hmm. that's all I'm really hoping for. And just one more thing to kind of not not to argue with you about about these losses, but it's just over the last six games, so since the last time we recorded the podcast, the Knicks have been, as you said, 0-6, but they've also had the worst net rating in the league. They've gotten outscored by 18.3 points per 100 possessions, which is by far the worst in the league over that stretch. Um, it's pretty bad. Yeah. The, no, the, I mean, the second worst is the Grizzlies getting outscored by 11.9. So the Knicks are, are, have been, I mean, just over the last six games, the worst team in the league by a considerable margin. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I know you said you don't want to argue, and I'm not going to argue because I don't think there's any defense. You know, <laughs> that's, 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 that's a bad number. And I know there were literally kinda... no defense. Oh, yeah. Nice, Tom. Nice. It's the comedy pod now. Uh, I know that there were some stats going around about uh, just how bad Emmanuel Moutier's plus minus numbers were. Um, I think in his first, like, I don't know, 10 games as a Nick, he was minus 149 or some crazy number like that. Don't remember the exact numbers. I know it was bad. Um, looking at the numbers for these last six games, you know, he's still right up there as far as worst plus minuses on the Knicks. He's, he's worse, uh, per game is minus 12.8, right? Right after him is Courtney Lee at minus 12.5. Although, uh, I don't think he, I think he missed two of those games. So that's enough four game sample. Um, it might surprise you, Tom, that only of the guys who played more than 10 minutes, the best uh, plus minus, Troy Williams. Troy Williams with a minus 1.7. Um, I don't know what that, that tells us about Troy because I don't – I think we were going to talk about this later, but let's just jump into to talking about Troy Williams. What do you think we have there with him? Well, I know he put up 18 against the Bucks, and I, I saw Greg tweeted from our account how Hornacek waited to the fourth quarter of this Toronto game to even put him in. So it's it's frustrating because it's hard to know what you have when he's played so sporadically, um, you know, through no fault of his own, just to, in terms of the, the time he's been earning. Um, I like that he has been hitting threes. I like that he has size. I like that he can... You theoretically defend. He's got a lot of bounce to him, a lot of athleticism. So there, there's a, a pretty, you know, high, I'd say a high floor. Like you can only be so bad if you're that big, you're that athletic, and you demand some respect from the three-point line. He, he can be a helpful player. And uh, I, I would keep him, like I know we want to do like who who belongs on this roster next year. I That's think Troy Williams, yeah, I, I think he would deserve to be on the roster um, just to continue seeing what we have in him. Yeah, Tom, and I think that's that's what you want from Troy Williams. That's what you want to see is him being a guy who can defend and a guy who can, you know, score buckets, uh, make threes. You want him to be a three and D guy. Um, I'm not completely sold that he's that guy, like because I know in the G League this year he didn't shoot particularly well from three. I think he shot around thirty percent. 
Um, and he's known to have been not a great defender. But like you said, he's got all the tools. You know, he's a streaky shooter, and we've seen it on the Knicks. He's hit a few threes in a row. And I think for the Knicks so far this season, he's shooting uh, something like 35% from three, which is pretty good. Um, it's not, you know, upper echelon, but it's it's a solid number to be shooting from three. And he's got the athleticism that you see when he, you know, goes in and he, he does one of the, his reverse layups or he goes in for a dunk like he had today. Like you see the athleticism and you think he could be that guy. So I'm, I mean, I'm kind of with you that I think he's a guy that the Knicks should, you know, hold on to for next year and, you know, see what you got. Kristaps is going to be out for at least the first half of next year, possibly longer, probably longer. Um, but if they're going to kind of continue to be doing what they're doing right now and just trotting people out there and seeing what you have and maybe developing a supporting cast for when Kristaps comes back, I think he could develop into one of uh, those useful players. And it's all about giving him time to develop, which Knicks have not really been, or Knicks fans generally have not really been uh, too kind of in favor of. But like you said, um, kind of one of the big things we wanted to talk about today was just what the roster should look like next year. And so I think there's, you know, five people who are going to be on the team next year. Regardless, there's three people who aren't, and then we can talk about everyone else. And I'm going to throw these names out there, and uh, I think I mentioned them to you before, and you can disagree as much as you want um, if you don't agree with me. But the people that I think are staying, KP is definitely staying. Tim Hardaway Jr. is definitely staying. Frank is almost definitely staying. Ron Baker is definitely staying because who would want him? And uh, I think Moutier is like 75 to 85% staying. And those are the guys that I'm convinced are probably going to be on the team next year. Any, uh, any problem with those picks? No, I think, I think Moutier is most likely going to be on the team next year. Um, he's, he's just been a really interesting case. Just looking at his last six games, like you talked about, he's had some moments where he's looked very strong. He had the 20 point game against golden state. Like you mentioned the 19 second half points against Milwaukee. He scored nine straight today, um, today in, um, against Toronto. And it was, it, it just, he looks like he has so much confidence during those spurts. And then other times you just think, what are you doing out there? So I'm, He's just a, a confounding player to watch. I mean, he had the the zero points in 19 minutes against Sacramento, the three points in 26 minutes against Portland. It's just it, it's confusing to know what you have with a guy like him. But uh, he's still he's still young. We're gonna keep saying that, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. And, and yeah, next year I think we'll have a better sense once Moutier has been on the team for a little longer and uh, gotten a chance to you know get the lay of the land, get to know his teammates. Um, and gel a little bit more. Yeah, and you, you, you hit the uh, nail on the head there. He is still young. Uh, I think he just turned 22 um, a couple days ago. And if you're looking in terms of the guy that I think we should pick in the draft and the guy that a lot of people are kind of coming around on, Mikhail Bridges, I believe he's also 22. So that's what people have to look at is they have to understand these guys can still develop. Um, I think the difference between you know bringing in a rookie who's 22 and having Moutier is that a rookie you're going to have under contract for the next few years. Moutier, I believe, is only under contract for next year, and then he's a restricted free agent. So that's kind of the the thing that weighs against him um, as far as the rookies. But he's still young and he still has time to develop. So I I agree. I think uh, he should be on the team, um, and I think he still has 
you know, kind of room to develop and become a very nice backcourt with him, Frank, and uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. all being kind of interchangeable pieces um, on the defensive end. So then the the people that I think are probably gone are Jarrett Jack and uh, Hicks because uh, Hicks hasn't really shown much and Jarrett Jack is just old. And, you know, he I don't think he wants to be on the Knicks. Uh, if he gets another chance somewhere else, I'm sure he's going to take it. And then the person I think is probably, go- probably going to be gone, but, you know, it depends on kind of how the Knicks front office wants to handle it, is Joakim Noah. Because uh, I believe the situation is if they waive him in September, they can um, stretch him for the, the next three years, I believe it is. If Greg were here, he'd tell us. But he's not because he's in New York. Um, but I think those are the three guys that I don't expect to see on the Knicks. Any thoughts there, Tom? I think you're right to not expect to see Noah in a Knicks uniform at any time. But I would be surprised if he weren't on the payroll. I mean, I like I don't think he's gonna get bought out. I don't think he's gonna agree to anything like that. But will will the Knicks stretch him? That's that's a tough choice. Uh, I know Greg has laid out um, pretty thoroughly the the options there and what the the ramifications of some of the decisions the Knicks can make there. But I, I don't, frankly, I don't know what the right move is there. I just think Noah's a sunk cost, and the sooner we can get him off the books, the better. Yeah, and I wish I wish Greg were here to talk about this because he does have some good reasoning. I believe the the big thing is um, we need to have money for Kristaps next summer, not this upcoming summer. Um, unless we, I guess we can sign him this summer. Um, and so we want to have that additional cap space that um, stretching him would provide. And by doing it after September, I believe it counts towards, there's some weird rule that, that Greg was looking into that allows it to count as though it happened next season. So that's that's the point that Noah that has been going around as far as him possibly getting bought out. I am with you for on the rest of it as far as I think he's a sunk cost. Until we need the money, I see no reason to buy him out because we're not going to be good this year. We're not going to be good next year. Um, and we're hoping to be good in two to three years. And you know, I'd rather not have that $7 million cap hit unless we absolutely need it. But that's that has been making the round, so we'll see what happens there. But um, now I guess we can get into the rest of the team as far as you know, who's staying, who's going. And I'm just going to, uh, I guess we could just read down the list first. And then if we can uh, kind of dive into them a little more. And this is this is who you want. I don't care what you think is going to happen. This is what you want to happen. Okay. All right. Luke Cornett. What do you think, Tom? Um, I'm a little indifferent about Cornett. A uh, so stretch five can be nice to have, especially when KP's out. I like providing some spacing for the younger guys for Frank and for Moutier to try and get into the lane and develop that way, develop the, those skills. And a, having a stretch five is a good way to do that. Cantor doesn't provide it. O'Quinn doesn't provide it. So, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think I'd like to keep Cornette. All right. Well, this was a yes or no, and you just went and explained it all anyway. So I guess that's our new format. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> um, so I guess, uh, I mean, I, I like Cornette. Um, I think he'd be a good guy off the bench because he's a seven footer. He can block shots and he can hit threes. Um, I don't expect him to have a huge role. You know, I, some spot minutes from him would be great. And, you know, a guy to bring in off the bench when, you know, your other bigs aren't really 
doing much. And, you know, Cantor's not much of a shooter. Um, and Cantor's also not much of a, uh, a shot blocker. So I think he would be a good guy to have at the end of the bench. So I'd, I'd like to keep him. Um, Beasley, Tom. Beasley. Beasley's tough. I, I know you've expressed some concern before about his ISO ball style and it coming at the his buckets coming at the detriment to, to development of some of the younger guys um, or at the expense of their development, I should say. But, I mean, Beasley's kind of a fan favorite. His teammates seem to really like him. Uh, I don't know that any other teams are going to be paying him all that much more than the minimum, to be honest. I, Despite him showing some some skills this year, I, I'd be surprised if other teams are really clamoring to get him. I think if you can get him at the right price, bring him back. Uh, Tom, you, you stole my line again. I uh, very much do subscribe to the idea that I'm not sure that he um, fits the right style for the Knicks because he does a lot of iso ball. I like his you know, general demeanor. Um, I've read some recent articles just talking about how he's been good for the team and how he's a solid locker room present, which goes against everything that you knew about Michael Beasley coming into this season. True. Um, although I think the Bucks, the Bucks locker room people also said that he was a very nice guy to have in the locker room. So um, I think that's solid. I, I like him too. Like I like watching him play. I just, I don't think he fits in the long term for the Knicks, and I don't think that his style of play is conducive to developing players, which we should be doing. So I'm I'm out on on Beasley, sadly, because I'd, I'd like him to catch on somewhere. I'd like him to get a chance to to play well somewhere else. But I, like you said, I just don't know that that's going to happen. And I think his attitude does probably work better in the locker room than it does on the court, just in terms of his defense and the effort he puts forth on that end. I I've watched him a lot recently and it's, it's been pr- pretty poor. Um, he doesn't get back in transition. He's constantly just losing focus, losing his man. And uh, he's the, he's the cause of a lot of defensive breakdowns. So, I mean, I, you'd hope that that wouldn't rub off on other players, but if you can do that, within the team's culture and still get see, see plenty in, of regular minutes, then it's just not a great – it doesn't really um, – it's not conducive to a great culture defensively, in my opinion. Yeah, and, I mean, like I said, I, I like him a lot. Like, I like watching him play. I don't know. I just, I just don't think that he, he fits into this team. And I'm, I'm just not sure that, you know – he's going to get a chance somewhere else, which I would like to see. So I'm out on Beasley. Sounds like you're out on Beasley. Uh, hope he does good things somewhere else, but not for us. Uh, Cantor. Cantor has a $18 million roughly option for next year. Probably going to to stick with the Knicks if I were to guess, but what do you think? Well, there's almost certainly no other team who would pay him $18 million for one season, but – it depends on what Cantor values in terms of uh, long-term security. So I would imagine that that 18 million this upcoming season would be more than he'd be able to make in the next two years if he were to opt out and re-sign somewhere. I I don't think I don't I think could see him. I don't think the teams are wanting to pay 10 million a year for Cantor. 
I, I could see him in the 10 million a, a year range. Certainly not in the 18 million a year range, but in the 10 million a year range. Um, I don't know, it, man. I It's tough, Kenny, because like you can get centers who provide a, a decent amount of what Cantor can do for just a lot cheaper, you know, like, I saw so we, we last week or two weeks ago rather we referenced Nick's film school a lot and they put out a tweet saying like the hottest take that they have is that O'Quinn is just a flat out better player than Cantor and I what, what do you think about that do you think that's fair um no I don't uh, Cantor is one of the best offensive players in in on the Knicks right he's the one of the best offensive player centers in the league. And he scores so efficiently, and he is such a great rebounder that I don't think Kyle O'Quinn can, you know, compete with that. Kyle O'Quinn is a, like I said, solid defender. I think he's overrated at times just because um, he does get a lot of blocks, but he bites on every pump fake, and that puts him in a bad position a lot of the times. Um, So I think, you know, O'Quinn is good at offense. He is good at defense. He's not great at anything. uh, Cantor is great at offense and bad at defense. So, you know, maybe it averages out, but I think I would pay Cantor more than I would pay O'Quinn. And right now, obviously, O'Quinn's just tragically underpaid. So maybe it evens out, but I think that Cantor is still the better player. Do you think that Cantor's next contract will be somewhere in the $10 million Per year range, I could see it in the ten million dollar range. Um, that would be my guess, but I also expect him to opt in because there's no rush. I think he could get the same contract next year. I don't. He's not that old that uh, I don't think you know being one year older is going to drop him significantly. So I um, I think that he will opt in. So maybe I should have had him on the probably still going to be here list. My thing about Cantor is I just wonder what his mindset is because he seems to really think of himself very highly, as you need to as an elite athlete, but like he seemed to be upset that he wasn't in all-star consideration when he wasn't receiving any minutes in the fourth <laughs> quarter for like a sub-500 team. It was crazy to me, but like that's just sort of his the chip on his shoulder uh, that, that gets it, you know, keeps his engine going. But I don't think that his agent will let him opt out of this $18 million a year. Yeah, it'd be borderline malpractice. I think, you know, he also likes being on the Knicks, so I think he's probably going to stick around. Um, yeah, I, th- I think he – I've convinced myself to put him on the probably going to be on the Knicks list rather than this uh, list of questionables that we're kind of going through. So while we're on on that topic, how about Kyle O'Quinn? He's also got an option for much less. What do you think he's going to do? Well, O'Quinn's a little older than Cantor, and so he's probably 27, 28, right? Uh, I think he's around there. I don't have it in front of me. Yeah, and and he's he's owed $4.2 million next year if he opts in, right? And so, like you said, very underpaid – He's going to probably opt out. You, I can't imagine a circumstance where he opts into that unless the Knicks say, if you opt into this, then we'll extend you for this amount of money for the following two years. You know what I mean? But I don't know why the Knicks would do that because they're not going to be doing anything with their cap space this upcoming season anyway. So 
I think I think Kylo Quinn is worth extending. I think somewhere in the range of like whatever the mid-level exception is right now. I know Greg's our cap expert, but uh, you know, probably in like the seven and a half million dollar a year range. So, what do you think Cantor falls in terms? Because I, I said he, I think he's probably worth ten million. What do you think he's worth? No, actually, I, I think. <clears throat> I was probably exaggerating a little bit by saying he wouldn't make the 18 million for this year over the next two years. That was, that was an exaggeration and just not true. The, the spirit of what I was saying was there, but right. yeah, I think, I think Cantor to most teams would probably be just depending on what the market is. Like, is there a team yeah. that says I need a center? And if there is one, then yeah, 10 million years for like, you know, four years, I think is completely fair. I don't see him like falling off the map athletically or anything like that. He's still young. So um, and, it just depends on the market so much. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the big thing because two years ago, you know, people were getting money like crazy and you read all these articles about how the money's drying up and teams are realizing that after blowing all their money on free agents two years ago, they don't like the cap isn't going up as much. So they just don't have enough room to, to bring people in. So I think that's a fair point. Um, we'll see what, where the market's at, but I think, you know, given kind of the current status of, of a lot of players in the NBA, that he's right around that $10 million range. And I agree with you on Kylo Quinn, too, that he's probably in that, you know, 7 to $8 million range, I would guess. Maybe maybe a little under there, maybe six, depending on the market, but he's probably around there. Um, now some, I don't know, a couple interesting ones. Uh, Damian Dotson, what do, you, what do you think about him? I know there's been, you know, rumblings, because he hasn't gotten much playing time lately, and other teams are starting to say, well, he's an interesting player. Maybe we'll try to get him in the offseason. I know there were you know, tweets going around about him being a potential offseason target for a lot of teams. Do you think he's still going to be on the Knicks? Do you want him to still be on the Knicks? You know, I think you've been a fan of his more than I have. I just haven't seen too much from him for me to think that he'll uh... – so I was looking up what the mid-level exception was there, and the video started playing, as it always does. Mid-level yep. exceptions about eight point eight million, by the way, for next year. Anyway, um, yeah, I think I think Dotson will probably be on a different team next year. I just don't think he has that much value in the Knicks front office eyes. They don't seem to value him that much in terms of uh, how much Hornacek plays him. It, it would not surprise me if he were moved uh, for, for maybe like a second rounder um, in the off season. Yeah, and I know I was a big uh, Dotson fan coming into the season. I think the problem that we have now is there's just too many guards, right? Like, I'm not sure that we have enough room to get him minutes and to get all the other guards minutes because we brought in Moutier, we brought in Trey Burke. We already have Frank, and we already have THJ, who are definitely going to be on the team. So I just don't know where his minutes are going to come from. You can play him at the three, I guess. Um, But... I just don't know that there's enough minutes to go around to have him be, you know, a solid part of the team while having all these other guards. So I think I'm with you that I don't expect him to be on the team next year. I wish uh, we had Jake or Greg here to tell us we were wrong, but they're off doing stuff, I guess. Uh, Speaking of Trey Burke, that guard that we brought in that may have paved the way for Damian Dotson to leave. What do you think about him? He's on under contract for another season tomorrow, I believe at the um, veterans minimum. So you think he will stick around or you think you're expecting him to still be on the team next year? 
Yeah, I think he's performed well enough to warrant being brought back, especially on a minimum contract. Um, and he probably has some degree of, of loyalty to the Knicks in that they believed him in, a, in a, him enough to, to sign him to a contract. He was kind of floundering for a little while. And uh, I I think that Burke has, has shown that he can he's a capable scorer. He hasn't really done much def- – I mean, he, he shows – effort on the defensive end. He's a little small, but uh, I think in terms of sort of mentoring Frank, showing him how to, to get to the rim, how to attack, how to be aggressive on offense, I think I think Burke's a good guy to do that. Here's my, uh, my hot take, Tom. What's that? I think we should trade Trey Burke just because he has played so well this season and he's been, you know, a very good scorer and he's played surprisingly solid defense. I just don't think that at his size, he is a you know great fit for this team moving forward for the foreseeable future. I don't see him as being you know our point guard or shooting guard of the future just because he's so small. And I see us giving a because Moutier is a big guy, Frank's a big guy, and I like that you know versatility of having big guards. And Trey Burke, you know, there's there's other small guards in the league, but most of them are you know. Um, have kind of an elite skill set. Um, Isaiah Thomas last year comes to mind. Uh, less so this year, although he's still scoring very well um, when when he gets in the game. And I just don't know that Trey Burke is is going to stick. And I think we have to learn from what we did with with uh, with Billy last year. You know, he had high value. He had a very cheap contract. And then we sat him on the bench, didn't play him, and then traded him for two second-round picks. I think if we trade Trey Burke while he's hot, you know, maybe we get something, or maybe he's a throw into another trade where we get something, and uh, he he has some value now. Um, that being said, I expect him to be on the next year, next year. That's just my hot take of what I think the Knicks should do. Yeah, I mean, the uh, thing with that is like he's owed about one point eight million dollars next year, and. Considering the production you're getting, like the thing about about Billy Hernan Gomez is that that was a guy who was making such little money, but was actually like had the potential to to give you some production. And so, when you have such bad contracts, mo- namely Noah, but there are other guys who are making more than they should be, in Tim Hardaway Jr. and Courtney Lee, in my opinion, um, and, and even Cantor, like you need guys to produce on these minimum contracts and Burke's one of those guys who can do that. So I, yeah, I see what you're saying in selling high on him, but you know, it depends again what the market is for him. If it's, if there's an offer there that you, that you can't turn down clearly make that move, but I wouldn't be desperate. I wouldn't even be very motivated to sell off on, on Burke just because what you're getting at, at his price point. Yeah, and that's fair. And I think, you know, the big thing in the offseason is that oftentimes that, you know, salaries don't have to match uh, just because everyone's under the cap because all the, the deals are off the books. Um, but, you know, like I said, or like you said, uh, if you get a good offer, I think you have to take it. Um, again, it all depends on what you get offered. And I think right now his value is going to be, you know, as high as it ever was. Um, and, you know, I know we're not going to be doing anything next year, right? So, you know, I, this is kind of goes back to what Greg said about the Derrick Rose trade, which is get something, you know, 
when we when we gave when we gave up on the Derrick Rose for Ricky Rubio trade, like that was stupid, just because Derrick Rose is coming off the books at the end of the year, and you know we got nothing for him. Instead, we could have had Ricky Rubio for him, and then Ricky Rubio got traded for a first round picks uh, during the draft. So you know, get something when you can is is I guess the general philosophy of of Greg, which I agree with. Um, now we're gonna move on to my favorite, Lance Thomas. What do you think about him, Tom? Uh, I think Lance, just as far as his age goes, I could see him being moved, unless the Knicks really want this his veteran presence. Um, I think he could be a helpful piece for for a team that's actually in the playoffs or or in the hunt. He's a decent two way player. Um, despite what Zach Lowe wrote in his article, he is a capable. Oh three-point shooter he is he takes about one maybe one and a half threes a game um and hits a decent clip of them i mean that's not where all of his value is his value is in that he's like long and he tries hard on defense and he's not a complete non-threat to shoot so yeah i, I could see him being a useful piece somewhere else like in oklahoma city would probably really like him but what he brings to the knicks i don't think is worth uh having him back next year. That's where we're going to disagree, Tom. Predictable because Lance Thomas is my boy. Um, Lance Thomas, like you said, he is a more than capable three-point shooter. He, on his career, he's 41%, which is, I would venture to say, a very good three-point shooter. Like you said, he doesn't shoot a lot, but he also doesn't play a lot. Um, like you also said, I think he would be a very useful piece on a good team. Um, but I think he is valuable to the Knicks. Uh, just as a locker room presence, I know, you know, th- I don't know why this has stuck with me so much, but a few years ago, uh, maybe, maybe one or two years ago when the Knicks were again, like in very bad spot, Lance Thomas was injured and, you know, they were watching the, he was watching the game and, um, something bad happened and the Knicks were losing by a lot. And two, two of the younger players were laughing and Lance Thomas just kind of started yelling at him. He's like, you guys understand that this is our team and we're losing right now. Like pay attention and stop like fooling around. And that was, you know, that's the kind of leadership that you need on a young team. And that's the kind of leadership that they were expecting to get from Joakim Noah. And he is no longer there. So I think he is valuable, um, both as a basketball player. He He's, you know, a good 3 and D option off the bench. I don't know that he's going to be getting a ton of minutes, you know, anywhere he goes. But I think he is a good option. And more important than that, the leadership, man. He's, he's, he's the guy that you want to kind of show these guys how to stick around in the NBA. And uh, that's what I'd like him to there for. You know, I know, you know, it goes against everything that I've been saying just because his age doesn't fit our timeline, but you know, he's a, he's a glue guy and I like him. So I'm keeping him, Tom. You know, Kenny, I'm all for making emotional decisions too. So you, you convinced <laughs> me. There you go. There you go. Um, we talked about Troy Williams already. Um, and then the last one is kind of the big, the big question that I wanted to save for last for the, that specific reason, Courtney Lee, you know, he's the, he's on a, what you think is kind of too big of a contract. What I think is a very, you know, reasonable contract for him. And he's definitely more useful on a better team. Um, so I'd say Courtney Lee is a piece that we got to move and we got to get something for him. 
Um, I know they they tried to move him at the trade deadline. They said they weren't going to accept anything less than a first-round pick. Obviously, they didn't get offered a first-round pick, so they did not trade him. Um, but, you know, like Greg says, this offseason, you don't have to match salaries, so it's a lot easier to trade people. What do you think about Lee, Tom? Well, so next season he'll be 32, making about 12 point. Two million, and then the year after that, it'll be thirty-three, making about twelve point, close to twelve point eight million. Um, look, he was a very productive player at the beginning of the season when he was getting minutes, and and was one of the focal points of the Knicks' offense. Um, he played; he didn't have to always have the ball in his hands either. He he does a great job on the catch and shoot. Uh, you know, Chris Tapps, was obviously the the main cog of the offense, but Lee was still getting his, and he didn't have to take away from anyone else to do it. Um, I think it's a little bit of a difference between him and Tim Hardaway Jr. I think Hardaway really needs the ball in his hands. He likes to do a lot of the the pull up, creating. He he likes to do the pick and roll thing. Like Courtney Lee, actually, and Tim Hardaway Jr. can spot up too. But I guess for some reason in my mind, I think Courtney Lee just doesn't need the ball as often to be um, to score as efficiently. So, uh, he just hasn't been getting as many minutes recently since the Porzingis injury, since the youth movement. I wonder, I just, we talked about it two weeks ago. I just hope that Courtney Lee's value isn't plummeting while this all happens and that, that his trade value is, uh, is going along with it. Yeah, Tom, and, you know, I, I have to feel that teams understand what's going on and, like, like you said, he was playing well um, while he was there or while he was playing. And I just got to believe he's worth something. And going back to what we were saying before, you got to get something. You can't – we're not going to be good for the next couple of years. And he's a much better piece on a team that's competing for something. So, you know, you hope to get some young pieces for him. And for that reason, I have to believe that the Knicks are going to trade him. So – I think I think that's kind of the entirety of the roster that we went through. Um, hopefully, okay, real quick on Lee, like uh, since they couldn't get a first rounder, what are you thinking? Like a second draft type of player, like someone who was drafted in a lottery situation, but just did like a Mario Hazonia. I, I guess not Hazonia because he's about to become a, a unrestricted free agent. I believe. I think the Magic uh, declined to bring him back. So. But someone like that who had high potential and I mean, like Moutier, who wasn't able to, to stick in his draft where he, where he was drafted. Is that what you're thinking for Lee? Yeah. I mean, either that or like I said, like we've talked about, you know, several times earlier this season, I guess, I guess it was technically last season. But once a team drafts a guy, the pick is worth a lot less. So I think. Towards the end of the the second round or the first round, the Knicks might be able to get one of those guys like during the draft, um, or like you said, uh, they could get a couple young guys or you know a Moutier type. But that's that's what I'm hoping for is uh, you know one of those guys who can you know potentially be a you know decent player on a good team in a few years because we're not like I've been saying over and over again we're not going to be good for the next couple of years so. What we're drafting for is two to three years out. And do you think that they'd have to take back any bad salary? Uh, I don't. I don't. Because what what do you think Lee is worth? Because I I believe to a 
good team who wants to go for it, Courtney Lee is a, a good piece. And I have to believe that there's some good teams out there with young players that just aren't going to get out there. You know, they have, there's, if you're a good team, chances are you have some young players at the back of your bench who you can't afford to play because they're not developed enough yet. And those are the kind of guys that I'm looking to get just a young guy who is capable of doing something, whether it's like a defensive guy or a guy who can just shoot. I'm looking for something, anything I can get. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. I I, I totally agree. It's just, uh, as far as what Lee is worth, it's theoretically he is worth at least close to his contract. Maybe it's in the, again in the $10 million a year range, but um, it's just, it's all about the details. Like he, you need to like, we, when you specifically get into the teams of who could use them and what they could give up, it's, it just gets a lot thornier when you, yeah. when, it, when it goes from the theoretical to the practical. Um, but I, I did, I did just bring up Mario Hazonia. I want to ask you real quickly because he was, the Magic did decline his fourth-year option, and there's been some talk about the Knicks pursuing him in free agency. I saw it on Hoops Hype. Um, I think I saw it on – I think it's mostly been on Reddit, but there's just been some talk about it. Do you think that the Knicks should have any interest in Mario Hazonia? Um, he's been kind of pulling out lately. Like since – over the last like couple weeks, he's been playing very well. Uh, he's been shooting the ball well, and you know he's – he fits the mold of what we wanted at the beginning of the season, which is an all Euro team before we got rid of half of our Euros. Um, so, you know, I'm for it. He's a decent player. He's a big guy. He's not going to, not, he's not a, uh, a center or anything, but he's a bigger, you know, wing player. Sure. Um, so I think he could, he could fit in with us, you know, as long as my whole thing for everyone is I don't want any more, you know, betweener guards, point guards, shooting guards just because we have so many of those people we need some wings so you know bring his own in sure i like it i'm I'm with you and he's he's team swag too so jake and greg would like him yeah they love team swag i don't know if they'd they'd agree with you that he's team swag They're, they have pretty high standards so we can we can ask them uh next week um another story that i kind of wanted to get into a little bit with you is you know, like I said at the, the top of the broadcast, Frank got his first start. He's also been playing a lot more at the two guard this season, um, or not this season, uh, th- these last couple weeks, just because of, you know, Moutier and Trey Burke um, being there as well. And I know at the beginning of the season, everyone was very much about him playing point guard because that's where his highest and best use is. That's where he would be most valuable if he developed in that position. So I just wanted to see how do you feel about, you know, Hornacek saying a couple weeks ago it would be terrible to, you know, take some reps away from him as point guard because that's where we want to develop to hitting this point now where he's the starting shooting guard uh, alongside Moody. Yeah, it's been a strange development in the season just because that was Hornacek's stance earlier on and he seemed a little averse to playing Jarrett Jack and Frank together towards the beginning of the season for that reason. Um. And I think the reason a lot of Knicks fans wanted Frank at the point was because there was just simply no foreseeable options or good options for the future. Jack certainly wasn't the answer. So I think that that's why they wanted to see Frank develop and develop as quickly as they could at the point guard position. I mean, 
Burke and Moutier are both young. They both have, I mean, they're both lottery picks. They both have point guard, uh, upside as point guards. So it's not as much of a travesty here because we're not, you know, squandering potential um, like we were just playing Jared Jack over, over Frank. At the same time, you do want Frank to get as many reps as he can as a playmaker because that's just, even if it is as a secondary playmaker, like, he just that's such a valuable skill set to have as a guard even no matter if you're a ball dominant guard or an off the ball guard like you need to be able to create for your teammates and so i just look digging into frank's numbers a little bit i know i mentioned this to you uh, last week he is before the all-star game he was assisting on almost 24 percent of his teammates field goals while he was on the court so almost a quarter of field goals that were made while he was playing were because of him since the all-star game it's only been eight games but that's dropped to 11.8 percent which is a precipitous drop and and just not what you want to see as the season goes along yeah um and i know a lot of talk has been made of kind of him hitting the rookie wall just because he didn't he was in france last year they don't play as many games and he was playing something like you know 12 to 15 minutes a game last year so I think that's a possibility. Also, you know, I'm not as worried about the stat lines as everyone else is. I just want to watch the games and see some potential. And, you know, Frank still has that potential. He's been playing, you know, his stats don't look great, but he's been playing solid defense. Um, occasionally he'll get a little loose with the ball. Since he's moved to, to shooting guard, his turnovers are down a lot. Um, but, I mean, I guess that's just kind of expected when he's not ha- the one handling the ball. And, you know, the last couple games, every once in a while, you'll see him like make a drive to the hoop, which is something that he didn't do at all as a point guard. So I think, you know, from a development standpoint, I was pretty much pretty. I was I was a decent amount against this at the beginning of the season because I wanted him to play solely point guard. But I see the value of having him play, you know, off the ball right now, it's, and it's building his confidence. And you know, he's he's got the opportunity to not worry about what everyone else is doing. Because as a point guard, your job is to make sure that everyone's involved and make sure that everyone's, you know, doing what they should be. Now he can just worry about what he's doing and he can, you know, like I said, drive occasionally and develop that skill set. And then I think as he matures, he can still, you know, take back that role as a point guard. Or like you said, if you have both him and Moutier out there, you can have two separate point guards, you know, depending on matchups, doing whatever they want. And I that's a very, you know, exciting thing for me to have you know, two big point guards out there, both, you know, capable of running the show. So I have kind of switched my tune since the beginning of the season when I was against it to now I'm, I, I like it just because he's been playing surprisingly well. And I mentioned the the plus minuses for the team over the last six games. Frank out of the, the top five players in terms of minutes per game is minus two per game which sounds bad, but they lost every game and everyone who played more than 10 minutes a game is in the minus. That's second best on the team. And of the top five minutes players, the second best is minus 11.2 per game. So that's that's about a 10-point difference in terms of him and and the other guys that he's playing with. So it, it his straight-up stats don't look like it, but he is playing some solid basketball and the team is playing better when he is on the court. So I'm... Um, I'm okay with him playing at the two. Yeah. And I mean, for him to be 
a good two guard in this league. He's just going to have to become a, a real threat from three. And obviously he has time to develop that. And he has a good looking stroke. It projects well. It's just, you know, like you said, right now, his, his field goal percentages are still very, very low, but so are nearly every rookie's numbers. So I don't worry about that too much. It's just as long as Frank is getting minutes in crunch time, then that that's what you want. You want him to get those minutes, to get those reps, and the more of those he gets, the better off the team will be. Right on, Tom. Right on. All right, the last topic that I wanted to talk about was the draft. Uh, we talked about it a little before about where we end up. We're currently sitting, I believe, at the ninth spot. Um, we said the best we could hope for is to move up one or two spots, but I don't expect it. It didn't sound like you did either. Is that right? I do not. All right, so if we stick at the ninth spot, who uh, who are you excited about? Who do you want to want to see the next draft? So Kenny, you know I'm I haven't been a, a college basketball guy in some time, but my alma mater, the Bucknell Bison, they just made the tournament, so I'll be excited to watch them play. No one cares, Tom. Is this about Mike Muscala? <laughs> hey, they can't draft him, man. <laughs> Moose has been doing okay, all right. Yes, he has. Um, so it really depends in terms of as far as like roster construction goes. What kind of center do you want next to, to KP? And I know towards the so say like the Knicks won the lottery somehow, like they, they actually won the top pick, but there was a frozen envelope situation. All right. Again. This was my next my next question, but let's do it. Let's do it now. If they yeah, win the lottery, who are we that. taking? Let's do we'll save the realistic stuff for later. Let's let's do the, <laughs> the dream now. All right. So they win. They have the, the top one, two, or three pick. It seems like a lot of the uh, the analysts have DeAndre Ayton going first. And he's a center who's he's bouncy. He can he can stretch the floor a little bit. I don't even know really who to compare him to. Do you have a, a player comparison for Ayton? Um, I don't, but I like him. Yeah, well, I'm going to let you finish before I, I yeah. jump in. So it's just – in. I'm wondering the Knicks' best crunch time lineups – when when we're at our best in say two or three years, will that have KP at center? And if Porzingis is playing center, then you don't want to be wasting your resources, a top pick on a on a center who's going to have to pl- like be on the bench in the final two or three minutes of a close game, right? So if if that's sort of the assumption I'm working under, then I think the two way perimeter wing play is what you want. Doncic is one of, is like the best European prospect. Some people are saying that we've ever seen. He would probably be my top pick at this Ooh. point. Just he's averaging Curveball. he's averaging like eighteen points a game uh, in the in the second best league in the world. Like he's playing against much better competition than these college kids are, and uh, and he's been doing this for three years. So I, I think that he would be my top pick, but if it weren't him, then I'd go with a different wing, like a Michael Porter Jr. or a Marvin Bagley, right? That, that's Tom, a, that's you got me player. lost. I'm so confused based on what you were just saying about Aiton. I thought you were going to go with Aiton. Well, so that was my point about like, so you don't want to play him because do you want next to KP? Like if you so, can't, if you can't play, if you have to play KP at center in crunch time, then you don't want an Aiton, right? Because that's a waste of talent. Oh, Tom, Tom, Tom. 
I I'm a big fan of Aiton. So first off, I'm not I'm gonna say that it for me it's between Aiton and Doncic, and I know you just said uh, Doncic was your number one, but Aiton, man, he's a big guy, and KP doesn't want to play center. Um, and to the extent you have Aiton, you have two seven footers who can hit threes, and that's awesome. Uh, my my kind of dream scenario is true positionless basketball, which I don't think is actually possible. Um, but the closest you can get is with either Aiton or with Doncic, because with Doncic, if you have Doncic out there with you know Frank, with Moutier, and with Tim Hardaway Jr., you know that's a fun lineup because all all three of those guys or all four of those guys can handle the ball. All four of those guys can can shoot it a little bit and all four of them can kind of control the offense in the front court though, having a, having two seven footers who can both protect the rim and shoot threes and, you know, Aiton can play center and KP doesn't want to, I think that would be a good lineup. Now, in terms of what you're talking about in term not having guys that don't really fit together, I think Mo Bamba is a guy that's at the top of the list of, you know, top prospects that I don't want in the Knicks just because he's that guy that he can't shoot. So he can't really, obviously he's He's going to be the guy that ends up being on the bench um, in those situations. So, you know, I'm cool with either Aiton or Doncic just because I think that it adds, you know, versatility to the lineup to being able to be able to, you know, switch these guys and have interchangeable pieces. Yeah. My, my only hesitation with Aiton is just if you've got both Aiton and Porzingis out there at the ends of games when other teams are usually going smaller, other teams' power forwards are like your, you know, your Durant's, your um, maybe Giannis. Jab- like actually, you no, know, Giannis would probably be a center in a crunch time situation. So like a Jabari Parker, or I don't know, it's just like smaller guys playing power forward at the ends of games. That Draymond is running center. It's just who are these guys guarding? Like. They're both seven feet tall. They're going to have a hard time chasing around some of these smaller power forwards defensively. Um, and That's I don't know true. if you want to like run Porzingis post-ups at the, uh, in crunch time. Maybe, maybe he'll get to that point. Maybe he'll be like Dirk at some point. But at this point, the, the Porzingis post-up is not his strength. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, I don't see either of them kind of guarding the perimeter well. So maybe, maybe Doncic is the clear pick, but – Something about having two seven footers who can who can block shots and shoot that's that's exciting to me, uh, and that's something that'd be interested in. So, I'm cool with either eight, and I'm sure I'm sure that they'll find a way to you know have these two uber talented seven footers coexist, um, or Doncic, who like I said would be a fun interchangeable backcourt with the rest of the the Knicks point guards. Um, but you know it's. I can I can see what you're saying as far as having Aiton guard the perimeter or having Porzingis guard the perimeter, especially coming off the the torn ACL. So, you know, I'll I'll give you this round, Tom. Um, I guess now that we're off of kind of the the fantasy of of winning the lottery, who do you expect the Knicks to take in that that eight to nine spot? So we've talked about this a little bit in weeks past because of your boy from Villanova, Mikhail Mikhail Bridges. Um, I know he's gotten a lot of love from Knicks fans, from from people who do these mock drafts, um, and like I said, just like I said for the for the top three picks, wanting a wing, I think just getting a 
a two-way wing here is the way to go. So if you can get a Mikhail Bridges or a Mile Bridges, I've even seen Kevin Knox out of Kentucky is a really high ceiling guy who um, who fits the bill there. And then I've got one more in Troy Brown Jr., who in the mocks I've seen has gone anywhere from like 9 to 19. It just seems like people have no idea where to put him, kind of like OG Ananobi from this past year. Um, I think Troy Brown Jr., he's out of Oregon, I think. he's a, He can be a really interesting guy, a, a 3 and D type uh, with some length. And just a two-way wing. That's what I'm all about right now, Kenny. Really high on the two-way wings. And I'm with you. And I think maybe maybe we're kind of overcompensating based on the facts that the Knicks currently have no wings. Totally. Um, and totally. Yeah. yeah. So it it makes sense that that you're high on the wings because I I am too. And um, I pre- pretty much brought this topic up so I could just talk about Mikhail again. Um, <laughs> I. I missed one of the Knicks games this week because I was watching the Big East tournament. I went to Villanova, in case you guys on the podcast didn't pick that up from my last few appearances. Um, but watching Mikhail Bridges over the last three seasons has been, you know, very impressive just because you, you'll see all the stuff that talks about how he came in as just a defensive player and that's all he did. And that's very true. Um, you know, he was the guy always at the top of their one, two, two press. He was just chasing around the ball, getting tips and steals just because he's so long. Um, what I saw in the last cu- couple games of the Big East tournament, like you saw him become a guy who can, you know, you're not really worried about if he's going to be able to score on the next level because he just took over games and he was never that guy, not even like going through this season. Um, if you followed college basketball at all, Jalen Brunson is also on Villanova and he's probably the top pick for right now. A lot of people are talking about him for Naismith player of the year. And he was the guy who you always got the ball down the stretch. And he was the guy who was, you know, taking any important shots and he had the ball in his hands. And last night in the Big East championship game, that was Mikhail Bridges. Now don't get me wrong because Brunson also went off. I think he had 29 or 31 points or something like that. But Brunson was, or uh, excuse me, Bridges was the one who was hitting all the big shots. And, you know, for me, that was always my concern because I love Mikhail Bridges, but I was he was always so kind of passive in the offense. And, you know, he would catch it, and if he had a good look, he would shoot it. And that's very good, and that's what you want from, like, a role player. But seeing him as a guy who can take over games in the last couple of games just got me really excited and kind of, you know, doubled up on my, my feelings about him being the guy that the Knicks have to take. And – you know, just to throw some numbers out at you from his last three games at the Garden over the Big East tournament, he shot 62% from the field, um, 23 for 37, and he shot 12 for 22 from three in those three games, which is like crazy. It's Those are very good numbers at the Garden under like big time pressure. And yesterday you saw him, you know, he had – he caught a loose ball and shot it like it was a catch and shoot and made it in a very big spot in overtime. Um, He also had like kind of a crossover pull-up three, which, you know, you don't really see from him. He's more of a catch and shoot guy, but you know, he showed the ability to make a move and then hit a pull-up three, which, you know, as people were talking to him about him throughout this season, that was something that I hadn't seen much of. And I was really excited to see that. So Tom, Long story short, I am all in on Mikhail. If he goes before us, I will be very upset. 
Um, I've talked to a bunch of my friends down in Philly. They're hoping he ends up on the on Philly from the I think it's the Lakers pick. Is that right? Um, right. So you know, I'm hoping he ends up on the Knicks. I would love to get that that jersey. I'd wear it to both the Knicks games and the Villanova games, and uh, just be generally excited. If that doesn't happen, if he ends up dropping a few spots, like. I'd be okay, or if he ends up going up a few spots, I'd be okay with you know Miles Bridges, who's you know a great athlete and you know kind of have that has that dominant scorer's mentality, or you know not much has been seen of Michael Porter Jr. I know he's being projected higher than the Knicks, but you know he hasn't played all season and he had a a rough game for Missouri in their tournament, so it'll be tough to see. Um, I was supposed to lead this section off with my. Not fun fact, but I guess I'll I'll close out the podcast with it. And uh, while we're talking about college teams, the Garden. Now, the last couple of weeks, the Big Ten tournament and the Big East tournament both took place at the Garden. So, how many teams, Tom, do you think have more wins at the Garden than the Knicks since January one? How many teams have more wins than the Knicks since January 1st? College teams. <clears throat> College teams. Um, it can't be more than two, right? It's seven, Tom. Oh, it's seven. Good Lord. Yeah, that's, that's, that's your not very fun fact. And Nothing the, fun about that. That hurt to hear. This, the seven are Villanova, who won three games in the Big East tournament and won against St. John's on January 13th. Michigan, who won the Big Ten tournament with four wins. Um, Penn State, who made the big, or won two games. They won, a, I think, a first-round game and then their second-round game because they were a lower seed. Um, and then Purdue, who made it to the championship, had two wins. Rutgers had two wins. And St. John's, who plays there regularly, had two wins. And Providence, who made it to the Big East finals, had two wins as well. So that's seven teams with more than one win at the Garden while the Knicks had one. Take that as you will. That made me really sick. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm, uh, that's all I got to say. I'm going um, to drop the mic on that one. Do you have anything left to say before we, uh, we head out? Let's go escape a room, man. All right. Sounds good. Go Knicks or, or not, you know, whatever. If they can lose the next few games and pick up Mikael Bridges, I'll be cool with that too. Um, this has been Talking Knicks. Talking um, sadness a little bit, but talking Knicks nonetheless. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Later, Tom. All right, Kenny.